We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com B-E. Every child deserves a team. That's the belief behind Jigsaw Learning, a proud sponsor of the Bee Podcast Network. And it's why the company, founded by educators Curtis and Lorna Hewson, focuses on ensuring success for all learners through collaborative response an approach in which every child is supported by a team. Through customized professional learning that incorporates workshops, leadership development, online learning opportunities, and more, Jigsaw Learning can guide you every step of the way to create a plan to maximize the collective capacity in your schools. Learn more at jigsawlearning.ca. Leaders need to be okay that their teachers sometimes might know more than them. That there is nothing wrong with the fact that your teachers might know more than you about pedagogy, about things happening in the country, about culture, about progressive things on the horizon, right? You can't put us in a box and hope we're going to stop talking. Dr. Chris Jones here, and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thought dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Raina is a fifth grade teacher in Mansfield, Massachusetts, and Massachusetts Computer Using Educators, also known as MassQ President, who believes in the power of student voice. She has been presenting at conferences on best pedagogical practices since 2010 and is a Google certified educator. Raina is the co-founder of EdCamp Southeastern Massachusetts as she loves to inspire educators to challenge themselves. As you can tell, Raina does a lot on the on the outside of teaching as well as being in the classroom and models the idea of challenging ourselves. So I'm I'm happy to have her on the show today. Welcome Raina. Thanks, Chris. I'm super excited to be here representing the teacher voice. Yeah, no, this is this is going to be excellent because, I mean, obviously, not only are you a teacher, but you also have some leadership roles that you uh, take part in that have a lot to do with planning and supporting people and getting people engaged mm-hmm. and um, even empowering people because, you know, yeah. you, you're talking about having people present and and so forth. So I did want to start off with one question for you is that you do a ton of things. So why is it that you do what you do? Because you both teach and like I said, you lead on these different organizations and things like that. 
Um, I've been like this since I came out of the womb, actually. <laughs> when they brought my grandmother to see her baby, right, the grandchild, she said there was one baby with the feet up in the air running, and that was me. <laughs> so I haven't changed. You know, I was like this as a student growing up. I just, I really feel like I dedicate myself to the betterment of our field, right? And the only way to do that is to challenge myself and learn and grow. And so I'm constantly seeking opportunities to do that. And as a classroom teacher, you're kind of limited in the leadership opportunities that are available by your own district, right? I mean, it's whatever the district provides. And so I decided not to limit myself. And so I joined the MASCU board and then ended up becoming president years later. And I decided to get my dissertation because I was bored. And I don't know many people who do that. And (laughs) I joined, I, you know, this year during a pandemic and with colon cancer, I decided to be my building's um, negotiation rep, right? Because I'm learning, like I had no idea about any of those things. So it's making me not only a better human, but a better teacher and colleague and friend. And that's why I keep doing it. That's awesome. You know, something you automatically said, and this is why I knew this episode was going to be great, because right out of the gate, you're already saying some awesome things that leaders need to hear. The idea of teachers not really getting the opportunity to lead, except those that are provided by their district, but clearly districts don't usually provide enough opportunities for teachers to step up and have leadership roles. So how is it, in your opinion, that leaders can do more of that? How can leaders empower teachers more? So actually, one of the things that's come out in my dissertation, which I'll actually be defending in a few weeks, is about professional development from within in PLCs and giving people a chance to lead up and have these conversations and show what they're doing. And I know that there was a movement at one point on like the pineapple charting, right? Where like you could sign up and, and show off something you were doing, but I'm not even sure that that's most effective because what I'm learning is it's the conversations around what you're doing and the why and how you make it work. And then letting people take that and then figure out how they could apply it to their own classroom. And I don't think that's happening enough where we're celebrating the things that people are doing because oftentimes um, there's this great YouTube video that's ordinary to you, but amazing to other people. And oftentimes you think what you're doing in your classroom is ordinary. Like I have my kids bake memes, right? Like memes are something simple. Um, Just an example was we did the, when the Bernie Sanders memes came out, my kids, like I was teaching a lesson and their eyes glazed over. And I was like, you know what? We're going to do a writing lesson with this Bernie Sanders meme. And they all made their own meme and did this whole storytelling around it. And I, I teach fifth grade, but I started talking to the fourth grade teachers about it. And then they were like, wait, we could do a meme for this. And we could do a meme for this. And we could get, you know, this out of our, kids. And it just takes that conversation and showing somebody something to make a difference. So you don't have to get up in front of a room and lead and do a TED talk, right? Or teach somebody where it's just a lot of that teacher talk. It's really just those conversations where I think educators and administrators, right? They should be hearing what's going on in our rooms and how we're doing it and what's working because they're all over the building. So they could actually say, oh, I was in so-and-so's room and you know, he or she or they are do- is doing this. Right, right. You know, it's funny that you said that because I had no idea. First of all, good luck on your defense. I had no idea that you were getting your dissertation. So that's that's cool to hear. But um, I really like what you're doing in, doing it on, the PDU from within piece. And you're right. The pineapple chart movement was good because it got teachers into other classrooms. But it, it, after that, the follow-up that you're talking about, just two things that made me think of is, I think I did a blog post on it. I'm not sure. But the idea of 
the fact that I learn more when I go to present, and this came from one of the MassQ conferences that I presented at, I learn more from talking to the people after my presentation when they come up and they ask me something about it and how powerful that piece is. But then my school, probably about, was it last year or the end of the year before? It's hard to tell with all the COVID stuff and we've been in and out. But we did an in-house conference that was run by teachers and selected by teachers. I just put the schedule together with the help of my assistant principal. But the best thing about that was the engagement level of the teachers and the empowerment of the teachers that presented. But then everybody as a community came together with this idea that, hey, these are the cool things that people are doing. And the people that were doing them, you know, got that shot in the arm, that boost of confidence. Like, yeah, what I am doing is something special and should be recognized. So that's such a powerful thing. Yeah, or even like bringing something back. I mean, I've been slowly watching the Mass Q sessions. And one of the things I saw was on restorative justice circles. So I've been in Jamboard actually, and I'm able to apply that to my morning meeting where I made a Jamboard with a circle. And all the kids, when they arrive, they move a sticky note with that they already made with their name on it to the circle. So we know they're arriving. There's a talking stick in the middle. And we are currently reading um, Jason Reynolds' For Everyone poem. Mm-hmm. And just this last week, my kids had no idea what the word oppression meant. So we had this whole class talk about the word oppression and they moved the talking stick and they can pass if they don't want to talk. They can ask for the stick to come back later, but it gives all the kids a voice, right? And so how could this be applied to teachers? Right. Like it doesn't just have to be for students, but I actually took a picture of it and put it on Instagram. And I had colleagues asking me like, what is that? What are you doing with your kids? Like how, how is this engaging kids? And really what it's doing is giving every child a voice, even if they want to pass, because they still have to say pass and then move it. So they're still a part of our circle. And then the other thing I learned was about the innovators compass and how to help kids with problem solving and naming things. And I have some students who need help with that. And so I immediately tried it with a student who works with our adjustment counselor. And then I met with the adjustment counselor and the special educator and said, Hey, you should try this. And the um, school psych liked it so much. She's bringing it to the district's SEL team for our building. Jeez. I, and I, I really like the, the idea of having the circle and you say, how can you apply that to students or teachers? How can leaders apply that? Right. And bring teachers in so every teacher gets a voice. That'd be the that'd be the most powerful thing. Well, it's like how I look, you're a principal. How often do you sit at staff meetings and you pose a question and the room is silent? <laughs> right, right, right. That's where wait time comes in really handy. Yes, but this is great because with <laughs> the circle, everyone's got to say something, right? Whether it's right. pass or they actually want to share a thought. Yeah, there's some talking involved. That's that's good stuff. And as a matter of fact, I think I'm gonna put that in my toolbox and and uh Use that. So thanks for throwing that out there. You're welcome. <laughs> With all of these things you've got going on, like your dissertation, yep. being president, and all these great ideas you have, if you could narrow it down, what's one of the best accomplishments you've had? Well, you have to ask that. You know, I'd have to say it's the community I've built. My students think they're secret agents. I know uh, training for the student sector, the FBI. I can't <laughs> credit the idea, but I can credit the fact that I blew it out of the water. Um, when I was a student teacher at the University of Vermont, I had a wonderful mentor teacher. And towards the end, Miss um, Jenkins, she asked if I wanted to go see another fourth grade class. And I went in and 
she, the teacher put a mug in front of me and it was full of sticks. And I said, what is this? And she said, you're going to be investigated. And I'm like, great, what's happening? And she told me her kids were secret agents and they all have agent numbers. And, you know, I get to pull five sticks out of this mug and they get to ask me any question they want that's appropriate. And then I get to pull five and ask any of those kids questions. And she said it was a great management strategy as well, because everything was numbered instead of named. So as a teacher, you don't have to constantly every year we do things, right? I just, everything's already numbered and I'm, and I got work smarter, not harder. And I started using Avery (laughs) labels every year and every year it's just a print job and then stick the labels on versus writing all the kids' names on it. But one of the things that I took it to to do was like everything's themed around investigation, right? So when a kid asks why we're doing it, it's like, we're a secret agent, we're investigating it. Like this is how we're doing it. What I didn't realize when I started doing secret agents is now 21 years later, with the LBGTQIA plus movement that we're seeing in schools where it is important to not, you know, say boys and girls that I always call my kids agents, right? So it was never identified by gender. And then the other thing is, is I have 21 years of kids who are constantly coming back and visiting because of this foundation we have and the relationships that are built because the secret agent pillars are all like your basic SEL things about building responsibility and trust and talking from the heart and being honest, right? I mean, I had kids tell me just last week, I'm the most honest teacher they've ever had. We talked about the Capitol. I'm not afraid to call people by black and brown. Like we see color in our room and we identify it. Like these are conversations that kids need and are starving to have. And I think that as they get older, they appreciate what I'm doing more and more. And so I really am proud of the community we've built. That's fantastic. I love the secret agent story and how that has really just blossomed or been flexible. We always talk about things that we need that are flexible enough to change with the times or nimble enough to be able to do something when there's the need. And the idea that just the numbers and everything and how that's built into what students need these days or what's important to recognize these days is a fantastic... They take such ownership of that number. And, you know, I started teaching third grade and I moved to fourth for two years and then to fifth all by choice. I really wanted to get to know the whole child. And I remember when I switched to fifth grade, the math department head at the time said to me, Raina, are you going to still do your secret agents? Because it's kind of babyish for fifth graders. And I said, I absolutely am because the fifth graders expect it. Right, right. This is who we are. You get a t-shirt, you know, it's like you get agent privileges, like snack when you want. We had, well, pre-pandemic, we had a microwave everybody could share. You know, there were certain things that you could do as a secret agent. We did movie nights. I mean, there were things we do outside of school, not just in school. I said, that's what it's all about. That's cool. That's really cool. The idea that they they get that special that special privilege stuff. Now, it's funny that you you know somebody said to you that aren't they a little grown up for that? No word of a lie. I was teaching in a school before, and a teacher, and it was high school, and I wasn't teaching. I'm sorry. I was the principal at the school. A teacher used stickers yeah. with her high school students. And she would use it as a review technique, but, and it was just simple things to review. But if somebody answered a review thing right or participated, they'd get a sticker. And there were certain days that they had to make sure they had their books with them to get stickers yep. or else they couldn't accept the sticker if it couldn't go in the certain thing that she wanted them to go in. And boy, I'll tell you, they, they would get in arguments about who got the sticker or not yep. um, and make sure they always had their books. So, you know, sometimes, and I, that's, I guess that's a lesson for leaders too. You know, the idea that um, we have to be careful about prejudging what people like or what they won't like or or be too mature for as long as we're 
adding that little bit of extra to it and making somebody feel that little extra special because they're doing something. Yeah. And I, you know, and I know I'm doing something right because we do, um, which I, I would say you're doing a lot of things, right? Oh, thank you. <laughs> but, but, um, we do No, this was huge for me. We do this positive sign Thursday movement that came <laughs> out of, you know, a teacher in the Midwest that Brian McCann and Marty Gagan sort of spun here in Massachusetts, where we have this hashtag positive sign Thursday. My agents have been doing it for years. I did try to get the school to do it. It sort of lifted off the ground and then it kind of fell by the wayside, but we still do it. The Thursday, I had um, a colectomy for my colon cancer on a Friday. And the Thursday before I had 21 years of secret agent families posting positive signs in my cancer support group for me. Wow. Wow. That's yeah. awesome. And that's what I remembered. I was freaking out as I was being wheeled. And I mean, like, I didn't know if I was going to wake up with a colostomy bag or what was going to happen to me at all. I didn't yeah. know if I was going to be operated on by a robot or not. But I had those images of those kids and those families in my mind. And I said, you know what? I'm like, I'm doing this for them and for me. That's and I awesome. I get back to them. And that was how I knew I came full circle with this. That's that's fantastic. Thank, and I mean... Thanks for sharing that. That's that's something very personal to share. I, I appreciate you being being that vulnerable to share something like that. Well, you know, I think leaders need to know these things that if teachers have set up these things in their classroom, there's got to be a bigger reason, right? And maybe yeah. seek as to what it is, you know, ask. Yeah, the, you know, the, the whole seek to understand <laughs> yep. and listening piece. But that's, I mean, you... You gave so many things there. I mean, we could do a whole episode on the secret agent thing. I think that's that's mm-hmm. an excellent piece. But let's look at the flip side of the coin. Can you think of a time that you didn't do well as a teacher or in any of your leadership roles? And what brought you through that? Or was there a way that a leader could have supported you or engaged or empowered uh, in a way that would have kept you from not performing your best to begin with? Or is there something they did to help you out to get through it? You know, I think... I used to be seen as this rogue or rebel, right, teacher who just did what I wanted, right? Like my kids are blogging. My kids are having a podcast. (laughs) Who does that in the fifth grade, right? And this is like going back years. Like I'm not talking about like the last three. I'm talking about in the last decade. You know, I think I used to do things, right? And you learn pretty quickly in a public school, you can't just do things. Now I'm... (laughs) I'm lucky that I am one of, I was one of 16 teachers per grade when I started. So I was less noticeable, if you will, and I could fly under the radar. If I was in a school of two of us, I'm not sure I could do a lot of what I'm doing. So I am forever grateful for where I am because I've been able to sort of be that rogue teacher and as you will, or that rebel teacher and try things out. But in doing that, and I'm sure you might be able to speak to the principal side, I create an equity issue because <laughs> my kids were on Google. Here's a perfect example. Ready? We used to have computer pods on end computing. And I'm not sure if you know what that means, but I will explain it for your audience. It was one CPU and five screens, right? And we had Word 1997. It was, you know, little Bobby's on typing his story up. And then, you know, little Chris comes on. If Chris's computer freezes and Bobby hasn't saved, they all freeze. So I had kids crying because their work was gone. So what did I do? Google was relatively new. Like it wasn't even in schools. There was no G Suite, Google Workspace now, I think it's called. There was nothing. I called up every family 
And I said, Can you, I want to talk to you about what I want to do. And I explained that I wanted to set up a family Google account that I understood that Google saved automatically. So if the CPU shut down, at least the kids work was there. I knew enough right, about it. Right. And I also knew enough that if mom and dad set up an account, I've now avoided privacy issues because it's a family run account and mom and dad can see it. I will never forget when my principal ran into the room and said, what are your kids on? What is this? And I said, oh, they're on Google. You get them right off. And I looked at her and I said, Ms. Podesky, you can call every family and ask them to shut down their Google accounts. And she threw her hands up and she's like, I always love you, but you always find the loophole. <laughs> yeah. And, right? and, you know, sometimes innovation takes looking at loopholes. Yeah. And, and I've uh, done a lot of that. Right. But there's a great yeah. example. Like I was not, they were not happy and I get it. I expected it. I knew it was only a matter of time because what I figured out was with the end computing system, was it rec- Google only recognizes one static IP address. So if I logged in and you logged in, you'd actually be in my Google account at one point. Hmm. So we had to get that fixed, which the department did, because it also impacted like keyboarding programs and some other programs where the kids log into. But yes, I went Google before the school went Google. That's funny. I can see where a leader might be upset about that, but only maybe as a knee-jerk reaction because of the unknown. So, And that's what I get a lot of. So when you ask about like where the shortcomings are, I guess, it's a lot of I push the envelope because I know what's coming. But a lot of people don't know yet. And it's that power of yet, right? But leaders have to be okay with the yet. So what can a leader do to support you in that? I think maybe understanding that there's a reason that we're doing what we're doing and maybe sit down and have a conversation before an assumption is made and look at it like I was trying to make things better, right? I wasn't trying to be a problem. I was trying to make the children's writing process better because of the devices we had weren't working. But I figured out a way to make it work with the devices we had. Right. So you were being innovative and to make it successful, you have to get away from the known. Yeah, you. Re- so, I think you do. Yeah. And you have to be okay taking risks. And I think leaders need to celebrate more the educators taking risks versus making us feel like we're a problem. Okay. Fair enough. So let's follow that line for a minute. What are some of the other things, key things a leader can do to support, engage, and empower teachers? So one of the best things, um, there was a, my current principal now actually was a student teacher when he started. And then he, you know, he went and he taught and he came back and was a principal at the other building. So he knew me, right? He came into my room and he said to me, Raina, I know who you are. I know what you like to do. Nothing is going to shock me, but before you do it, can we at least have a conversation about it? So seek to have that conversation. Yeah. And I appreciated that. Right. So like when it came time to like the wordly wise workbook, which is a vocabulary workbook and those who know me, love me. I am not a workbook teacher. I will not make kids do this workbook day after day. So I, I said to him, you know, if it's an expectation of the superintendent of schools, I do the wordly wise workbook, I'll use it, but I have a another idea. And he's like, here we go. What are we doing? I said, I want to do a class podcast where the kids use the words in their segments. That's good. I said, it's more important that they understand how to use the words and they, that, you know, like that you hear a lot of web depth of knowledge, right? So it's not yeah. as important for me that they can memorize a word list and spit back the words. It's more important that they can apply them to something in conversation. And so that's how I ended up getting my class podcast off the ground because we're using the school's vocabulary program. 
That's cool. But I mean, and how often are you having a conversation with somebody and they try and drop what we call a 50 cent word and they use it wrong? Yep. You know, the idea because they memorized that word somewhere, but they didn't yep. learn they didn't learn how to use it in context or exactly what it meant or or how it could be used, which goes right to the heart of what you're you're talking about. So it's important. What I'm hearing you say is the the most important thing for leaders to do is to have the conversation first. Well, yeah, and don't understand. expect everybody and right and like here's the thing. Like this goes back to like even good teaching. Like we don't teach the same way for all our kids, right? Like right. I wouldn't expect every single kid to learn in the same way. So the, so I don't think leaders should be expecting us all to teach reading the same way, writing the same way, you know, math the same way. And the one thing you know, my dissertation is actually on what the pandemic just showed that if the world ever shut down, we wouldn't be ready as elementary teachers in the world of ed tech, right? But you, what I learned through even my interviews and work was that tech's generational, right? Like every teacher can figure out how to teach reading, but how to embed tech into it is totally different. So you get someone like me that actually is a digital native, even though age-wise I could be considered an immigrant, but I'm actually a native. Mm-hmm. So I've been on a computer since I was five years old. Yeah, that, that qualifies as native. Right. Like I just was learning to talk and how to do math and had an IBM computer with a joystick and played Math Blaster. And I had a printer with a dot matrix printer. I mean, the computer was huge. Right. But for someone like me that's been using technology and education since I was five years old versus somebody else in your building that's literally just learning how to turn on a computer, we're not going to teach the same way. And you, it's, I'm glad you brought that up because it draws a parallel between something very important and something we complain about with teacher prep programs is the idea that, you know, teacher prep programs teach you not to lecture to kids for more than 10 minutes as they lecture that to you for 40 minutes. Right. That's how PD is. I get lectured right. at all the time. And that's, that's poor PD. And we, we know that. And the thing is, the parallel I'm thinking about is where teachers teach differently to different students. And oftentimes that's heralded as the best you can do, right? Because it is. Everybody has different learning styles and different needs. But then as as leaders, we often struggle with the idea of letting go and doing the same for PD or letting go and doing the same for a staff meeting or even an evaluation. Teachers teach differently based on their needs. So one of the important things I think it is that leaders need to realize is that we need to approach these things the same way that we're expecting teachers to approach their students in the classroom. Because in essence, as schools go out at different tiers, teachers have their students, leaders have their teachers. And so they have to make sure they take care of their teachers, in my opinion, my humble opinion anyways, the same way teachers take care of their students. Right. And just like we advocate for our kids to our leaders, our leaders should be advocating at the state level for the teachers, right? Like you brought up a good point. The teacher evaluation... I was told one year that I didn't fit it. It took two months to figure out where to put me in this rubric. Yes, because I actually had, and this was one of those situations where the superintendent, assistant superintendent at the time, who was my former principal, asked me to do her a favor. The super, the new superintendent, who was the principal at the middle school formerly, needed to be observed by his mentor, observing a principal, observing a teacher. Oh my God. So what union member is going to say, come on in my room, all of you. But I did. 
because uh, she knew she could ask me and it was no big deal. But the day that they came in, it just randomly happened that half my kids were at course performance. So I, I couldn't really teach a lesson lesson. So I did a review of a differentiated math problem, but I told the kids they could use, you know, whatever tools they wanted. I had kids building a math problem with Legos, drawing it out with 3D doodles, drawing it out with pictures. You know, some kids were writing a story and they were like, oh my God, everyone's doing something different. Like, and yeah, I'm keeping track of it and I know who's doing what, but that's not in the rubric. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey, you're talking about a lot of good stuff to reflect on and I I do want to get back to it, but um, what I do want to do is take a break here and let people hear from some of the show's sponsors and then we'll come right back. Absolutely. Today's podcast is brought to you by Better Leaders, Better Schools, who put out a great newsletter every Sunday called The Weekend Resource. This newsletter provides incredible value, sharing tremendous leadership resources from across a variety of resources. And I personally love the inspiring quote at the end of each Weekend Resource, because I can use it with my staff. Subscribe by visiting betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash weekend dash resource. I use Anchor to distribute the Seeing to Lead podcast because I find it to be the best tool to suit my busy schedule. Anchor has everything I need all in one place, offers hands-free distribution to everywhere podcasts are heard, and is free to use. I can use anywhere from some to all of its features based on what I need at the time. On top of all that, you can be mobile, recording, editing, and distributing all right from your phone. You can also easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So go download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. All right, and uh, we're back with Raina, and we were talking about, you know, reflecting on some of the things we're doing. And we could start again by, Raina, if you don't mind, for new teachers and leaders who, who say, you know what, I really do need to reflect. What are some of the important questions you think they should be asking themselves or, or strategies they should be using to reflect? Well, I think first of all, as a leader, you yourself need to learn and grow, right? So mm-hmm. I think one of the things they should be asking themselves is what am I doing to further myself, right? And, and am I making time for this? No, that's, that's an important question. You know, it's funny because I talk, I talk about scheduling a lot and I've learned about scheduling from people. And I think about where I was at before I reflected on the idea of what does my schedule actually look like and how every day in and out was like, oh, I didn't get anything done. I didn't get anything done because I didn't really have a purpose for the day, if that makes any sense. Yeah. But when I when I sat back and reflected on my goals for the day, and so I use I use very few things that I, that are must dos during the course of the day that are tied to my bigger goals, and then obviously all the little stuff that comes across the board has to get done too. But as long as I can knock down those three big things each day, I find that I feel much more productive, and that only came through reflecting. And something that is on my to-do list every day is to reflect in the morning on what the day is going to be like. So so important. Yeah, I I just try to think of other ways, and and I've heard different strategies and things like that that leaders can reflect on how to help. Like you mentioned, the idea of listening more. Do you have any idea of or any ideas or strategies that a, a leader could do to help themselves reflect? on how to listen to teachers more or questions they could ask themselves to slow down and talk to teachers first. All right. This, from a may, teacher sound, this may sound kind of silly, but here's something that I think could work, even though I've never tried it. 
silly things usually work the best. <laughs> no, you know, like I was saying before, how often do you ask a question at a staff meeting and it's quiet, right? Or people don't want to answer. What if you had them playing like Uno? And while you were playing Uno, you asked a question. Because now it's like a least restrictive environment, right? Where someone's not feeling this pressure to say something in front of a whole group, but rather like a small circle playing a game and I'm just asking and then we start talking about things, right? Like making people comfortable to take risks and say things because, and that's something a teacher should be thinking is, can I take this risk? Because what is the worst thing that's going to happen, right? Right, right. Like you know, something it, doesn't work. Oh, well, try it a new way. <laughs> Now I have to I have to tell you I like that idea. It is it is a little silly, like you said, the idea of playing a card game or something like that. But I I actually like that idea and I think it would work well. I did a walking staff meeting with my staff and asked some questions and they just pair up and as they walk they talk. But the way my family you clearly have never seen the way my family plays Uno um, no. to suggest that. <laughs> We call it a full contact sport in my house. We're pretty competitive about Uno. Or even like if you ask somebody how they change the rules to Uno, right? Now you're getting to see how your teachers think about changing the rules without actually asking them, how would you change the rules for teaching your math lesson? Because then now, you know, okay, like so-and-so will do this when it comes to Uno, but why aren't they doing this with their learners? That's, man, you are just saying some beautiful things. So for those of you who did not hear that, The idea of if they're willing to change the rules to something else, why is it such a big leap or how would they change the rules to what they're currently doing? Because you know, there's a student sitting in the class wishing that they could change the rules. Just like there's plenty of teachers sitting in a staff meeting wishing they could change the rules. So no, that's, that's, uh, that's pure gold right there. What you just said. So glad it turned out not to be silly. No, absolutely. That's kind of what I was thinking about, or like you think about Monopoly, right? With like strategy and like, why are you buying that property, right? Like, all right, let's talk about your reading lesson. What what property would you buy out of your reading lesson, and what needs to go? Right. That's great. That's the idea of just using games. And you know what? You said it was silly at first, but look, we're actually modeling the idea of talking through something that it then makes sense when you talk through it and adjust it and tweak it. Yeah, and I just got that idea from talking to you because you asked that question. That isn't, like I said before, it wasn't anything I've ever tried. It just kind of makes sense though, right? Is like, how can you take the known and comfortable and put it in the uncomfortable? And I think that's what leaders need to do is we all need to get uncomfortable, right? Like one of the things I've been doing is that, you know, the hard work of building an anti-racist classroom. You know, I have my first transgender male this year in the building. So I've had this three to four years of doing some of this work. And look, I haven't even touched the iceberg of it yet, right? But I'm okay with being uncomfortable. And that's a lot of people aren't. Right, right. And that's, and and how often do our counselors, teachers, just about everybody say that it's important to live in discomfort for a little while yep. if we're going to grow? Yeah. And if we don't set model that for our staff and for our students, it's, I don't right. know, it's not going to work. Right, right. Well, it's but not believable, right? As simple as an Uno game can now be applied to a much bigger way of doing things. Right. And it's an easy leap. Yep. It's no longer, it takes it from being an abstract, theoretical type of thing to something concrete by drawing a direct line between, hey, if I'm looking at how to change the rules here, why haven't I done this? For where I am. And it's almost like the conversation that once this whole pandemic thing is over, right? Why are people rushing to get back to the old? Oh, I'm not. I, oh, no. Not you personally, but 
when yes, you look a lot around, of are, yeah, they want they, things to go back to the way they were because it's what they know and what they're comfortable with. Right, right. And it's, you know, there's so many things that we learned um, during this pandemic about instruction and learning and, and yeah. the, the possibilities yeah. that education is typically a, it's typically an oil tanker, trying to turn an oil tanker. But we found out that after a spring of kind of bouncing around, we became pretty nimble and we're able to shift and and do things in a in a good way. Yeah. Um, it would just be a shame to see us throw that away instead of taking the good things out of that and running with them. Well, I even said, you know, the other day that some people like I'm not using meats once the kids are back in the building. And I looked at them and I said, how are you doing group projects and small groups? Because with kids sitting three feet apart. Right. What are they screaming across the room? Are you forcing groups together by who they're sitting next to? Or are you just going to worksheet? And I hate to say it, but teachers pay teachers. Yeah, yeah. I understood. We can we can just leave a pregnant pause there. Yes. But that's that's understood. But you know, it's funny because well, it's not funny, but or not funny, haha. It's funny in a in a strange way that with the hybrid model with live streaming at our high school. One of the first things teachers worried about was how are they going to keep that community together and make that cohort A and cohort B feel like a class. And so they did that by getting devices in the hands of the students in the class so that they could connect like that. I, that's what I've been doing this whole time since it started. We've been one class no matter where they are. Right. And so why would anybody want to move anywhere away from that and giving them the choice because now they do breakout rooms and they can, they can choose who they work with and the kids just throw headphones on in the classroom if they yeah. need to. When the kids are quiet, right? Some of my quieter kids, because they're speaking into the microphone and coming out the smart board, we can all hear them. Right. And, and some of your quieter kids, not necessarily volume, but, but demeanor are, we're finding that some are speaking out more. Yeah. Or the chat function, right? As the back channel. Right. Right. Where they get things. Hmm? No, that's that's good. So we're getting to the end of this, and you've said a, you've said a lot of things that I'm going to put in the show notes. There also is a graphic. What's is it called? The Rebel or it's called what Rebels want from their bosses? It's insights from Rebel, RebelsAtWork.com, and it was a sketch note done by Tan Mavora. Okay, so I'm going to put that. I'm going to link that up in the show notes because anybody listening to this needs to pull this up, look at it. And it gives a great overview or a starting place for things you need to think about if you're going to be supporting, engaging, and promoting teachers. Print it out, hang it up somewhere where you can consistently look at it. So when you do get a teacher like Raina, who pushes the boundaries, instead of coming down on the negative side or doing a knee-jerk reaction, you stop and you seek to understand first. So I did just want to mention that before I, before I forgot it. One of the last questions I want to ask you is, And I know we've talked around this and we've mentioned a couple of things, but what's the most important piece of advice you would give to leaders as they work to support, engage, and empower teachers? Oh, I have that answer. Just this answer? No, I do. (laughs) Leaders need to be okay that their teachers sometimes might know more than them. That there is nothing wrong with the fact that your teachers might know more than you about pedagogy, about things happening in the country, about culture, about progressive things on the horizon, right? You can't put us yeah. in a box and hope we're going to stop talking. Right, right. Isn't, isn't uh, learning about always learning and education about always learning? Yes, because I had a, and I'll 
not afraid to say it. She's no longer with us. And I'm sure anybody listening that knows me will know who I'm talking about. But my a former superintendent of mine told me she didn't like me to my face because I knew more than her chosen leaders and that her teachers shouldn't know more. And my response to her was that is her problem, not mine. Well, why wouldn't a leader want the teachers to know more? You know, I think it's scary, right? You get your transactional leaders and your transformational leaders, right? That's leadership 101. And when you have a transformational teacher surrounded by transactional leaders, it could create problems for those leaders. Like I said, I'm an equity issue, right? Why is Ms. Friedman's fifth graders blogging and no other fifth graders blogging? Why is her class going doing movie nights once a month during a pandemic and nobody else's? But there's a way to get around that or help that grow as a leader instead of, you know, unfortunately, that's short-sighted to look at that and say, well, we've got to stop Raina from doing that instead of saying, well, wait, maybe Raina's got a really good idea and free up some time, free up those teachers, um, facilitate the ability of you to show those teachers what you are doing and help move them along. Because those teachers that aren't doing that may just be nervous, may just be unsure and or not know how to do that and be a little bit scared. So the best way to do that is to show them collegial support because that's not going to come from the leader saying, hey, you know, Raina, you really need to try this. I get that you're scared, but you need to try it. That means nothing. Just like a teacher telling a student that they really need to do this when one of their fellow students is saying they need to do something else. Right. Just like if one of the other teachers. The the principal before the one I had now, that's now my current superintendent, I asked her if she wanted me to stop. And she looked at me and she said, no, I just need you to know though that it is an equity issue. And I appreciated her having that conversation because I needed to hear it, right? Right. Like I appreciated her having the risk to come and say to me the truth, Mm -hmm. her truth, because I needed to hear that. But at the same time, I needed to find out, like, is it causing that big of a problem that I do need to put the brakes on some things? Or is can we look at what the benefit is to students? And we actually had a conversation about the benefit to students. And the hope is that someday some of the things I'm doing, other people might want to try. And it, and it is it's scary, right? But you got to set up that culture, and and not and it's not just me, right? I work with amazing teachers that are all doing wonderful things in their own ways. That should all be celebrated. Except we never have a chance, and I know part of it's the pandemic, but even pre-pandemic, there's never been time blocked out to celebrate what other people are doing. Yeah, that's that's unfortunate, and that's something leaders really need to pay attention to is yep, celebrate I, all the things teachers are doing. And I've seen schools try it with like, you know, like a sticky note wall and people write what they're doing or, you know, a morning announcement. But I'm not, I don't know if that ever really makes the difference because really what we need to do is see it, talk about it, right. and then have the opportunity to try it and then follow up. Right. Well, I think right there is a good place to leave it. Okay. Because I don't, I don't want to say anything that is going to take away from what you just said. I think you just said something really important. So on that note, yep. how do, you said a lot of good things. How do people get in touch with you? Um, I'm on Twitter at R-L-F-R-E-E-D-M. Or I actually have good old-fashioned Hotmail that I kept, Friedman 24 at Hotmail.com. All right. So I will definitely link all those up into the show notes so people can get in touch with you if they want any more information or sure, anything they... masque related too. Yes, most definitely. I, I can't uh, speak highly enough of masque and the work you folks do. So you definitely deserve a pat on the back for that. Other than that, thank you very much. I really appreciate you coming on the show. I think there's, there's tons of information here that people are really going to 
walk away with some strategies to help out teachers more. Yep. Thank you. And thank you for having me in your inaugural season. (laughs) No problem. (laughs) Thanks. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you'd like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at Dr. C.S. Jones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Learn more at drcsjones.blog. Continue to improve and go have a successful week. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Jigsaw Learning. Whether you lead at the school, district, or division level, you're serving a wide array of students, and you know that no one person has all the answers when it comes to meeting each of their needs. That's why Jigsaw Learning helps leaders and their staff and faculty to develop a collaborative approach. Every child deserves a team, and when you put together the pieces of effective collaboration, you can realize that team's full potential. Connection, relationships, and authentic collaboration are at the foundation of Jigsaw Learning's work. Through professional learning presented on-site, online, or a blend of both, Jigsaw's team of experienced learning associates works with you to develop a personalized plan to help collaborative response thrive in your organization. Learn why educators have described working with Jigsaw Learning as powerful, wonderful, and beneficial for all students. Visit jigsawlearning.ca and connect with the team for information. That's jigsawlearning.ca. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com B-E.